program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. Welcome to the beautiful campus of LCMSU, everyone. I'm your host, the Chancellor. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. Pastor Marcus Sill. Michael Burdick, all the way from Macomb, Illinois. How are you doing today, Mike? Very well, thanks, Pastor Zill. Well, call, call me Marcus, or you can call me Chancellor, but uh, Marcus is <laughs> is just fine. Bart Day, my boss, gets really angry when he hears all this Chancellor talk. He's like, I'm going to fire you. You're not a real Chancellor. And, uh, and I'm like, and you're not a Board of Regents member either. And he's like, I'm not a Board of Regents member. I'm your boss. Quit with all this Chancellor stuff. But you are in Macomb, Illinois, and for people listening in the St. Louis area, they might have an idea, but a lot of our college-type LCMSU Nation people might have no clue. Where is Macomb, Illinois? Well, because a lot of people from the Chicagoland area like to think of Illinois as only being about Chicago. We're about three and a half hours southwest of Chicago. Uh, you can get on the train twice a day in Macomb, Illinois, and ride the Amtrak all the way to Union Station. So we're we're not disconnected completely. But, uh, and then how far the are you from edge. St. Louis then? We're about three hours north, directly okay. north of St. Louis. So it's easy to get down there to uh, down to the motherland. Okay. And you have college students in your area. What campus is there in Macomb? Sure. This is Western Illinois University. We also have a small um, local community college called Spoon River College. We seek to serve them both. But Western Illinois University has a a history of being a teacher's college. And uh, and now one of the the biggest program is our law enforcement uh, justice administration uh, program. Really highly um, highly sought after. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, and then it's also a, a school that's very friendly toward veterans and has a, a strong ROTC program, Army ROTC. And uh, um, so it's, it's carved out a niche. We are in an area of Illinois that some people used to call Forgottonia because it feels like we've been forgotten out here in the western edge, but uh, but we've not been. So it's yeah, western you aren't on, you're on the train, but train line, but you're not probably on an interstate or anything then either. Absolutely not. When I came to school here in 1980, it was a two-lane road, and uh, the school's a little bit bigger back in those days, and it was bumper-to-bumper traffic coming into Macomb when parents were dropping off their kids, uh, uh, and uh, now we do have a four-lane coming in, but but, uh, it's certainly not an interstate. And so now you, I take it, you're an alum of the very school where you help uh, serve college students at. Right. It's really, it's really a wonderful um, uh, place to be. Yeah, I came to Western in 1980 and majored in agricultural business, and thought I was going to go into ag banking, something like that. Um, I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, uh, not far from here, about an hour and a half from here. And indeed, I graduated from here in '84 with an ag business degree, thinking I'd go into farm management, uh, something like that. But uh, um, the encouragement of pastors and friends, um, and uh, I finally went home and asked my parents what, what they thought of what others had been saying for years, and they were gracious and supportive and said, 
we always thought that you would be a pastor, but we didn't want to push you. Didn't want you to go to the seminary because we told you to, which was sure. a very supportive, uh, gracious answer. So, yeah, I am an alum. Now, did you make up your mind to go to seminary while you were still in college? I did. As a matter of fact, when I was serving as an RA in the in the residence halls, um, I, I started seriously to think and pray about it. My campus pastor who sat in the same study where uh, I'm sitting now, um, was uh, um, encouraging um, uh, of it. And uh, so it was right during my junior year that I think the decision finally was made to apply. I do like to say that in my life and in the lives of the the young men who sometimes come to our campus ministry or are thinking thinking about seminary, you don't have to decide that you're supposed to be a pastor. But you need to decide if you're supposed to apply to the seminary and let them decide. Um, let God decide through them if you're supposed to be a pastor. Long answer short, yes, it was uh, while I was a college student. Yeah, here, see, that, hap- that actually happened to me, too. Um, cool. I was going down the line to become a... Well, first I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, then I took a philosophy of law on Monday night at 6 o'clock, four hours. And then I didn't make it through the first break. <laughs> Um, No, actually, I'm sorry. It was philosophy of accounting. First it was accounting, then it was law. I took a philosophy of accounting class. That's the first buzzkill if anybody wants to go into accounting. Um, And then I ended up becoming a teacher. I wasn't sure if I really wanted to be a pastor, but I applied and said, hey, I got four years to figure it out. At least I can learn some good theology. And then while I was there, I actually fell in love with the idea of being a pastor. So uh, anyways, that is so cool that you're sitting there in the office. Uh, where your campus pastor uh, was it's, sitting when you were a student. That's remarkable. It's kind of remarkable, kind of surreal. And you met your wife there, too. Is that right? You met your wife she there, also was an RA. Yeah, she also was an RA in the residence halls. And uh, um, she um, came into the church. She just grew up Methodist and, and became a member of this congregation before I ever did because she was confirmed by that same campus pastor who years later or two years later um, uh, officiated at our our wedding so yeah i met my wife here and it's been wild to raise our kids in the same town that we never thought we'd uh, return to <laughs> well we are glad you're there and you've been there now how long 19 years which is uh um, it's been wonderful there have been opportunities and uh calls but uh, this is a good place to be and we've grown some roots well, the reason why I wanted to invite, why well, I invited you on the program today, we're getting geared up for our Liberty uh, National LCMS Campus Ministry Conference coming up in a couple, three weeks here. And uh, you had agreed to do a sectional. In fact, you offered one up uh, to me, and I thought, wow, that's a great topic for college students. And uh, I'm going to let you tell everyone, what, what is the topic that, uh, that you think college students, that's uh, important for them to kind of deal with? Well, thanks for accepting the offer because uh, I wasn't sure that it would fit um, with our liberty theme, but I think it does. I'm calling it either liberty in the face of suffering or suffering in the face of liberty. But it is that intersection of um, living out your life as a child of God in the face of suffering and um, whether that be depression that comes upon your family or uh, uh, other forms of suffering that uh, uh, 
children, parents who go through terrible times, uh, um, wrongful accusation. Things happen to young people and to older people that uh, I suppose have the the potential to derail somebody from the Christian faith if they make an idol uh, of their comfort or an idol of their conceptions of what God's supposed to be doing. So uh, um, liberty in the face of suffering is what uh, I decided to call it. Well, you know, what's um, it's always fascinating to me whenever I do surveys or things of topics that uh, are forefront on what our young people are dealing with, it never amazes me how often depression um, itself shows up. You know, we we raise our kids, they get this pie-in-the-sky ideal, they're all idealistic. Oh, I want to grow up, I want to do this, I want to be that, I want to be this other thing. They show up um, to a strange place uh, called college and step onto the university campus and, and you know, sometimes they're not real prepared. They haven't had a lot of a lot of rough things that have maybe happened in their life, and then boom, it seems like it just right. get they get piled on, and they they aren't sure what to do, and then they're away from home and away from family, and if they're if they get disconnected from their life of Christ and the life of the church, um, that can be a really tough time, and so there is a lot of suffering. So how there is <laughs> tell us about why this topic is maybe of special personal interest to you. Well, I, I suppose first is a I'm not sure if it's first as a father and husband or if it's first as a campus pastor, but in our life and, and with my wife and I, we have four uh, birth kids who age uh, age range from 29, the oldest, to uh, 23, and the youngest, and it's our youngest birth child who uh, she herself has gone through uh, some significant suffering, and I suppose as caregivers for her, there's some suffering, although you never want to try to quantify uh, the, the amount that you're bearing compared to sure. others. But uh, 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 but Abby, uh, our youngest, has cerebral palsy. She's uh, quite ill many times and on a ventilator all the time. So we know a little bit about the burdens of uh, parenting, um, of facing things you didn't expect, things that uh, upset the apple cart. So that came to mind. And then Kathy how and I is, also... How old is Abby? Abby is 23 years old, and, and when she was born, uh, she was my very first uh, emergency baptism uh, in the hospital because uh, she was not breathing well as soon as she was born. Uh, she was born the day she was reborn, and uh, um, uh, but we didn't think she was going to live very long, and now she's 23 and still home with us, and we're glad for that. Then Kathy and I have also been privileged to, to do foster care um, in the most recent years, and uh, one child that we recently uh, saw go on to an adoptive home um, went through just in the last oh, a little bit over a year uh, two open heart surgeries and she made it through fine yeah it was, it, it was quite a year um, and um, and not only her but you spend a lot of time in an intensive care unit with children and uh, you see families young and older uh, going through things that. Uh, you wonder how, well, it's the old phrase, how do people survive this without Christian faith? Uh, not just mm-hmm. faith, but Christian faith. And it's a, it's a decent question. So I suppose those intersections are part of the reason I, I'm a little more comfortable with saying we need to talk about suffering in the lives of even college kids and, and um, be prepared as much as you can for what might be ahead in your life. And uh, don't be surprised that um, God, this is difficult to say sometimes and difficult more to accept, 
God may send suffering. And uh, that's perplexing to sure. us. That That's hard to accept. Well, so what do you say to a college student, someone that is uh, dealing with... Uh, some rough stretches or patches in their life or some situations like what you've experienced in terms of, you know, they ask you, so pastor, uh, why is God letting this happen to me? Um, Mm -hmm. How am I supposed to deal with that? How do you respond to that kind of thing? Well, you know, the why question kind of begs for the, uh, an answer that explains this. And I've learned that that would just be foolish to do, to try to explain uh, this. I, I like what others have said before me, and that is, we don't explain God, we trust God. And I realize that just saying trust God is not in itself comforting uh, to somebody, but first thing I don't do is try to explain this. Um, sure. uh, um, I, I suppose one of the first things I say is, I'm sorry. And, and maybe that's just coming in, starting to be uh, older in life, being a dad and a grandpa, that you learn that uh, it's good to say sincerely, um, I'm sorry. And to mean that and uh, to grieve with the person, whatever it is they're facing. Um, it, it, this, is a, this is good timing because this past Sunday's gospel lesson for most of us was John in prison sending his question with his disciples to Jesus, are you the one or should we wait for another? Yeah. And there's just a beautiful example in that, that when you are suffering, like John was, when you have questions, do what, what he did. Go to Jesus. And uh, I don't want to sound flippant and easy in that answer, but um, if a college student comes and they're facing this difficulty, um, we'll together go to Jesus or, uh, in, in the Word and prayer. And, um, we won't try to explain it, though. Um, and that's probably just some the spiritual maturity um, by God's grace in my life. Because I, I suppose early on in my ministry, I foolishly tried to explain suffering. And um, I'm afraid that's, a, that's a, a response for a lot of us pastors. We like to fix things. Yeah, no, we do. Well, you know, when you talk about that gospel passage... Um, which is just, I mean, I absolutely love this. I was privileged. I don't get to preach all the time, but I got to preach this last Sunday in Socorro, New Mexico, and had a chance to preach on that, too. And, you know, it it was interesting to me as I looked at that text, and I've preached on it before, um, but John wasn't asking, I mean, here is Jesus running around, healing people, (laughs) doing this, that, and the other thing, and John is like, okay, I'm basically your cousin. (laughs) I'm the greatest of all prophets in the strength and power of Elijah. And here I am sitting in prison, awaiting my probably eventual execution uh, for telling Herod to not be shacking up with his sister-in-law. And and John's concern is not, okay, why am I here? But where do I point? Now, some people, uh, sometimes we talk through, I, I don't know where you came down on this, but um, it seems to me that there's two ways you can look at this. Is John having his own doubts? Maybe his disciples, who he sends to Jesus, maybe they're having their own doubts going, okay, we're following John, and mm-hmm. John's in prison. Um, but either way, it doesn't really matter, because in the face of that suffering, the answer is always not focusing on, woe is me, why am, in this, why am I in this predicament? But what does John do? Yeah. He's faithful, and yeah. he doesn't ask why. 
but he wants to make sure that everybody himself and his disciples are pointing themselves in and in, in going directly to Jesus, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and I did not uh, make a determination in my sermon uh, that uh, that I know who's actually asking that question with a John or his disciples. I think it's a fascinating and, thing. It doesn't really yeah. matter. The answer is still Jesus. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And we had students you know, in service this past Sunday who are getting ready for their finals, like, like almost every university I'd imagine. This is finals week and uh, uh, may have been a great semester, may not have been. And uh, we have younger people and older people because we really are a town gown ministry we have babies and we have senior citizens we have we're privileged to have infant baptisms and some funerals uh, all in the in the same church family here as well as college students and it's wonderful. You know, it is it's the best model for for campus ministry but that's another uh, no, show sure. i'm sure uh, yeah, uh, but people were sitting in those pews thinking well, i don't go to exactly what john faced and i don't think I'm going to, but I've got my valleys and my questions, and so they're not unlike John at all in in wondering. Are you the one? Well, yes, he is the one who's with you in the midst of suffering, and, and I think you can even, uh, with faith in him, say he's also the one who sends suffering at times, and uh, um, he'll be in the midst of it even when it comes... Um, with pain, but pastor, I'm thinking as the uh, the student advocate uh, here uh, mm-hmm. with the question, pastor, if God loves me, why why would he why would he send me this suffering? I mean, yeah. If you don't ask her why, and the answer, I mean, I guess, um, I mean, how do you answer that? Why would he send me suffering? Why would he say, you know what, this 19, I'm a 19 year old kid. Um, why? Why would he potentially send suffering into your family? Why? Why does God yeah. allow or even sometimes send these things? What? What is in it for him that he's sending us this? What is his goal? Yeah. Um, well, a couple of things. I probably would not try to again explain the sure. suffering, and I would start with, "I'm, I'm sorry." Um, this comes dangerous, might seem dangerously close to trying to explain it, but right. um, I probably would quote a friend of mine uh, here in town who four years ago uh, went through, a, uh, in his early 60s, went through a very serious stroke that left him very debilitated. Right. And he, he came to our ministerial association meeting. He's a former Baptist pastor. And he said, um, in all my time of recovery um, and all the therapies he's gone through, he said, um, I've learned that my, my therapist is working with me so that I become more independent. And my Heavenly Father is constantly working in the other direction so that I become more dependent. You know? And you know, that's a great little bit of wisdom. I would not try to explain it to the student oh, sure. that well, way. I, I, I but I would say, I'm sure that that's what God's going to do through this. He's going to make you more dependent. He's going to empty you so that you decrease and he increases. Well, he's also uh, building He's also building us up. I mean, God works to the good for yeah. all those who love him. And, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I had a, uh, my first call had the, made the rounds uh, to make the shut-ins and the, went to the nursing mm-hmm. home. This is 25 years ago now. And I had this lady who was sharp as a tech, 85 years old, 
um, paralyzed from the neck down, but sharp as a tack, yeah. all her facts. She's go, Pastor, why doesn't God just take me? Why does he allow me to suffer like this? I can't do anybody any good. And then I'm sitting there, and we got interrupted <laughs> by by the uh, candy striper or a nurse that came in. Yeah. And uh, she spent 10, 10, 10 minutes talking to her about her life and faith and encouraging, you know, you should be going to church and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then the, the, the nurse left or the candy striper, and I, I turned to, to, I think her name was Evelyn. I said, you know, Evelyn, what were you just asking me about? Why does God allow this to happen? Why doesn't he just take me? And she's like, yeah. okay, you got me. Because yeah. there are other people that can see Christ in us in terms of how we respond to the suffering, too. And she right. was able to be a witness in the midst of all of her own suffering. Beautiful. So yeah. um, how, how do you think what's happened in your own life has prepared, you know, with your, uh, uh, with your foster child and your own birth child? You know, how has that kind of prepared you to be able to help handle and uh, to uh, show examples to uh, your own college students there that you work with about, about how suffering plays itself out? Yeah, well, I, you know, one of the great things about being a, a pastor and a campus pastor is having students involved in your family and your home and arson. And uh, so when, when students care about our daughter or our foster kids, um, they're learning something that way. Oh, um, absolutely. Some, for some of them, being around a person who's severely handicapped like our daughter, this might be the first time they've been around someone who wears their suffering in a pretty um, obvious way with the ventilator and uh, things like that. Um, And so I suppose just the exposure and example uh, help. I'm certain that what I've gone through, what we've gone through, which pales in comparison, if you do try to compare, which you ought not, but uh, if you look at this, I realize that God has made me a better husband and dad and pastor uh, through some struggles and tribulations. And so um, I, I'm more, uh, a little more Christ-like uh, by his grace uh, through those things. And then um, I'm now a little more likely when somebody comes in struggling, I'm a little less likely to uh, explain and a little more likely to be um, a dad, a father, um, um, and a caregiver rather than an explainer or teacher uh, for them. So, it, you know what I love with the way you talk, Mike. I, I I got I shocked some of my uh, brothers and sisters in the Department of Office of National Mission at a retreat a couple weeks ago, and we were all introducing ourselves. Everybody said how many kids they had and what their wife and how many kids. And I said, oh, I'm married to Bethany. I've got, uh, I don't know, five, six hundred children. <laughs> and they all looked at me like, what? <laughs> and then I explained it. I always go for the shock value. But I always had kind yeah. of a fatherly, paternal feeling towards mm-hmm. those that were under my care. And uh, it's beautiful to see that you clearly have that in spades. But to, to close up here, we just got about a minute and a half or so left. Sure. When you get back to John, when somebody is suffering, that text about John pointing, what did Jesus say to John's disciples? Go back and tell John what, and what impact does that have for us? Sure, sure. So go back, tell what you see in here, and that he's fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies, who he is, who he promises to be, um, and... Uh, so he points him not 
inward, but outward to, to, to what Jesus is doing. And, um, and he does have that, um, I think we can say, a, kind of a gentle rebuke when he says, and blessed is the man who's not offended at me. And, and uh, I wouldn't end with that, but let's not let this derail you. Let's not let this disappointment offend you and uh, take you off the rails of trusting the one who bought you and uh, who suffers with you. So they were to turn to Christ by looking at what Christ had done, what they had seen and yeah. what they've heard. Now, we don't get to see, but we do get to hear, and we do get to yeah. receive Christ in the midst of our suffering. Where does that all take place? So if I'm sure, suffering, sure where, should I, where should I turn to to assign that God has not forsaken me? What what things do yeah. we turn to? I can only turn to the cross and the empty tomb, you know, just to be, rejoice. It. And those things are, you know, for you every Sunday in the church and throughout the week in your church and family. And, um, you know, go back to the Word. Keep going to Christ. And, uh, gifts, gifts, gifts. Time for here today, everyone, on the beautiful campus of LCMSU. College is tough. You need Jesus, we'll help.